0: The church. The first one was a small group made up of a teacher and 12 students. Those students reached their region. With Paul's help, they reached the known world. But what is the church? The dictionary says it is a building for public and especially Christian worship. There are a lot of beautiful church buildings all around the world, but many of them are empty except for the tourists. What does God call the church? He calls it His body. He calls it you. You combined with other believers from all over the world. A body of people who not only meet to worship, they are committed to serving God by loving others. They teach children God's truth. They give their vacations to help the poor. They give of their time and their money to make Him known. They serve together. They worship together. They pray together. And they give their direction together by reading His Word and by listening to His Spirit. So are you part of God's church? Are you connected with His people? Are you committed to His call? What is the church? We are the church. We are your church. Join with us as we seek to make it stronger. Strong enough that the gates of hell will not overcome it. The last thing that Jesus said before returning to heaven was Go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Mark 16. the church, not a building, but a people, a people united to seek and serve the living God. Be the
1: church. In chapter 5 of Ephesians, verse 15, see then that you walk circumspectly, that is, Being aware of all that's around you, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Everybody's not honest. Everybody's not pure. Everybody doesn't have noble motives. Verse 17, therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another. In psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. As the church, that is the people of God, the redeemed community, we are to submit to one another. There are some places that have abused that. You ever heard of a cult? That drank Kool-Aid? That submission gone too far. Notice, we submit to one another in the fear of God. That brings balance to it. That was submission without the fear of God. God doesn't want us committing suicide. So, it's being very much aware of the will of God when we submit to one another. When you submit to one another, you consider one another. You respect one another. You are polite. In the realm of business, there's a thing called bid submission. Let's say you want someone to do repair on your house, and you call AAA Home Repair. How much will it cost to fix this house? And if it's a lot of work, he may make a list of things that he's going to do and how much it's going to cost and itemize it. He then gives you that bid. When you take that bid from AAA Home Repair, the bid has been submitted to you for your consideration. You're not being forced to use AAA. You may want to seek another bid and somebody else is going to submit a bill to you. So it is in submitting to one another. We're not cramming our wheels down one another's throats. But we're honoring each other, respecting one another, and really being considerate of one another and doing what we can to help each other. You got the picture? All right, that's the foundation for the next verse. Verse 22, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Two things I want to point out there. The word submit, we talked about that. To join in the mission with, that's submission. To your own husbands, not somebody else's husband, your own husband, as to the Lord. Now, if your husband wants you to be his contract killer and join you in his Serial murders don't do that because you can't do that as to the Lord. That's just like submitting to one another in the fear of God, submitting to your own husband as to the Lord. That's twofold. Obviously you don't submit to something the Lord wouldn't want you to, but when you submit, you're submitting as to the Lord. The Lord the Lord wants unity in his home, and anything with two heads is a free. The buck has to stop somewhere, so he's asking wives to let the husband lead. Now, obviously. You don't want to marry somebody goofy. So when you get married, consider this verse. Consider this verse. Well, I'll never submit to him. He makes good money. Well, don't do that. You're not going to have a biblical marriage. Amen? We're talking about biblical marriage here. It's not the topic of the sermon, but this is what we're talking about right now. In our culture, marriage is getting tampered with, and somebody's married the Eiffel Tower. Over in Oregon and changed her last name to Eiffel and actually got a picture of her in a wedding gown. You can Google these things. Somebody married a horse. You can Google, Google it and find him with his horse. Somebody married his pillow. A couple of ladies have married themselves and of course we know men are wanting to marry men and women are wanting to marry women. And they can change the laws if they want to. I mean, efforts are being done to do that. But that doesn't make that biblical. It may become a civil marriage, but it's not a biblical marriage. A biblical marriage involves a husband and a wife. Two husbands do not a marriage make. Two wives do not a marriage make. Even Mary cannot carry. Adam and Steve cannot conceive. Move on. For the husband is the head of the wife. It's a biblical marriage. You know, some people rant and rave about what the world's doing. Meanwhile, their own home is not a biblical marriage. Can't believe them gays are doing what they're doing, you know. Do you have a biblical marriage? Hello? That may be part of the problem in the world. For the husband is head of the wife, that is, he is the leader in the home, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Now, Is the church perfectly obedient to Christ? No. Anytime you see the church mentioned on national news, somebody has gone off the rails and not been submitting to Jesus. Right? Does the Lord throw the church away? No, he's still dealing with us. Thank God for his mercy. How many He's thankful for his mercy? All right, men, it's our turn. Husbands, verse 25, love your wives. Not somebody else's wife, your wife. Husbands, love your wives just as, can we say just as, Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Oh man, you think submission's tough, that's really tough. We're talking about going to the cross, dying out to your flesh. This is not a yin-yang thing. You submit, I'll lay down my life. Or you lay down your life, I'll submit. The point is, we're all called to be crucified. This crucifixion of our flesh. A happy marriage is two funerals and one resurrection. Yeah. Amen. Amen? When Yvette and I have marriage problems, somebody's not dying. And sometimes it's somebody's not dying. Plural. You've got to learn to say, I was wrong and you were right. Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, verse 26, that he might sanctify and cleanse her. Sanctify means to be set apart, to be made holy, set apart for a special purpose. We've got Thanksgiving coming up and in homes all over America, dishes that have been set apart for special events. That giant platter is coming out. The big pot's coming out. It's been set apart. The china may be set apart at the adult's table and not the kid's table. Set apart for a special purpose. He's done that for us. He gave himself for us so that he might sanctify and cleanse us or cleanse the church, cleanse his wife, his bride, with the washing of water by the word. Have you ever read the scriptures and a verse just kind of hits you between the eyes and you, you want to glance over it, but it, you know you got to deal with it and you know you should pray about it? What is that? That is the washing of water by the word. That is Jesus using the word like soap to bring cleansing to us. Don't get mad at the word. It's us. See that? It's like a mirror showing us our blemishes. So that he might present her to himself a glorious church. Can we say glorious? Glorious. A glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. But that she should be holy and without blemish. He's doing this for us. Most brides go through great lengths to make themselves super duper expialidocious presentable on their wedding day. To look the best. They may be hiding blemishes and hiding spots and doing their best to look the best. But in this relationship with Christ being the groom, he's helping us prepare for our wedding. It's been centuries now. In advance, we'll see in a little bit the blessing of the length of time he's taken in getting us ready for our wedding day with him. Not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to. To love their own wives or their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. If mama's not happy, ain't nobody happy, guys. You love your wife, you're loving yourself. In the long run, it comes back to you. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. So our image of Jesus. As our Lord is also our image of him as a husband. It's the kind of man we should seek to be with his help. Verse 30. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. This reminds me of what happened in Genesis chapter 2, where the Lord put a man to sleep, took part of his body, and made him a woman. And he began to prophesy, This is bone of my bone, and flesh of my flesh. she should be called woman. For this reason. her husband. Not someone else's husband, her husband. It's not fair to compare your spouse to someone else's spouse. Well, Billy Bob doesn't do that. Well, it's not fair. You're to love your own and work it out. And sometimes you need third-party help. And that's the blessing of being in the body of Christ. You see someone with a successful marriage, go to them and get some input. It takes both parties, though, to make it work. So by all means, let's humble ourselves and and work on our marriages being reflections of Christ and the church. Verse thirty two again. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. I'd like to speak to you today on the subject. You are the bride of Christ. We're in a series of declaring who we are. We're not a man-centered church. We desire to be a Christ-centered church. We just came through a season of 60 sermons on who Jesus is from the Gospel of John. And now we're going to go for a few Sundays of declaring and learning more about who we are. And one of the things we are is the Bride of Christ. Last Sunday, we learned that we are the house of God. And we considered three questions. What? Is the house of God? Where is the house of God? And why does God have or need a house? Today we're going to consider three questions. How are we the bride of Christ? When is our wedding? And who is our groom? Now, I don't want men to be uncomfortable. When you say, we are the bride of Christ, <laughs> images like this come to mind. Now, this is, a, this is a trick photo. This is a figurine at the Underwoods house where a child knocked perhaps this figurine off the shelf. Does anybody know how the head came missing? But Bobby was just at the right place for this photo. When we say, we are the bride of Christ, men, we are speaking of ourselves corporately. If a woman says, I am the bride of Christ, that is incorrect. If all the women are brides of Christ, then Christ is a polygamist. He's monogamous. He has one bride, and he's waiting on her to get ready, and he's involved in getting her ready. So corporately, as a people, we're the bride of Christ. Well, I just don't think like that. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. When you hear of another dictator in the world, criticizing our country, America just don't get it, what does that do to you? You kind of take that personally, right? Because corporately we are the USA. You are a U.S. citizen as an individual, but corporately we are America. I'm an American. We are America. Corporately we are the body of Christ. Individually we are members of the body of Christ. Corporately we are the kingdom of God. Individually, we are citizens in that kingdom. To set the mood for the sermon, let's watch a little video.
0: This is love. For all of my life, will you be my bride tonight? I'll love you for all of my life.
1: You are the bride of Christ. That's us, the plurality, corporately, all believers are the bride of Christ. Not to belabor the point, but I, I just feel some inner resistance, and I'm not going to ever be the bride. Well, we are the bride. Corporately, we are, not individually. You're not wearing a wedding dress. We are wearing a wedding dress. Any Texans in the house? Individually, you're a Texan, but corporately, we are Texas. And don't be messing with Texas. Clean out the back of those pickup trucks. All right. (laughs) Who is the groom? First question. Who is the groom? We could all shout the name out, but let's enjoy the journey. Let's don't rush it. John the Baptist called himself the friend of the bridegroom. In describing his ministry, he said, he who has the bride is the bridegroom. That's Jesus. He came to prepare the way for Jesus. But the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. If you're at a wedding, the groomsmen are there, they're all dressed up, they can't find the groom, they're, they're going to be searching for him. John the Baptist came to prepare the way for the bridegroom. And the day when it was revealed to him who that person was, he was excited. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. At most weddings in our culture, we have groomsmen, and one of those groomsmen is the best man. And you would do well as the groom to never ask an ex-boyfriend of the bride to be your best man. I know it's been done, but it's not good. They make movies about things like that. (laughs) Because when... She enters that door and takes everybody's breath away. You want your best man to be happy for you, not wrecking your wedding. And so John the Baptist recognized his position. He must increase, I must decrease. There's a part of the wedding where the best man tells the groom goodbye. He doesn't go with him on the honeymoon. It's time to decrease. So John the Baptist was the best man. Jesus said this about him. He said, of those born of woman, there's none greater than John the Baptist. Prior to John the Baptist, we had some great men. We had Adam, Moses, David, Joshua, Elijah, Elisha, some awesome men. But Jesus said, John was the best one. Like groomsmen in a row, John was the best man. And then Jesus said, but he... Who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Who's greater than the best man at the wedding in the groom's eyes? The bride. If not, we got a problem. Junior Barnes. John found him and said, Behold, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He was helping prepare the way for the groom. Make his path straight. Let valleys be exalted and mountains be made low. Let's level this thing out here. The Messiah's coming. Come and get washed in the Jordan River. Prepare yourself. Repent of your sin. Pay people back that you've done wrong. He's serving the wedding festivity. And then, before there was a wedding, the groom got killed. Oh, devastating, right? But he rose from the dead. An expanded thing. He's given his bride time to grow up, to mature, to get bigger, to enlarge the borders of her habitation. The whole earth is going to bring forth his bride. And then he ascended to prepare a place for us. And one day he's coming back for that grand wedding day. Do you love it? Jesus referred to himself as the bridegroom. When confronted by Pharisees, Because his followers weren't very religious, they didn't see them pray very much or fast very much. They said, why did the disciples of John, that's John the Baptist, fast often and make prayers? And likewise, those are the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink. Sometimes they eat without even praying. What's going on? Jesus said to them, can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? When you're getting ready for the wedding, it's not the time to be all spiritual. It's the time to party. It's a feast. But as it turned out, due to his death, and of course this was all in the plan of God, it was engagement festivities, which was also a joyous thing. Verse 35, but the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them. Then they will fast in those days. So as his followers, corporately, we are two things. We are members of the wedding party, but we are also the bride. See yourself from two vantage points. And Jesus is the bridegroom. This is also recorded in Matthew 9 and Mark 2 as well as Luke 5. Now Christ's first miracle, I think significant, was at a wedding. Mary came to him and says, son, they ran out of wine. What does that have to do with me, woman? My time is not yet. What was he thinking of? He came as the Son of God, laid aside his divine rights and privileges, and lived as a man anointed by the Holy Spirit, and only did those things the Father showed him to do and said those things the Father told him to say. He knew who he was. Maybe he was thinking of his own wedding. He will never run out of wine at the wedding supper of the Lamb. So he responded and told the servants to fill these six water pots with water. And they were 20 or 30 gallons each. So he provided between 120 and 180 gallons of some very fine wine. Good stuff. The best stuff at that wedding. So weddings are dear to his heart. Human history as we know it begins with a wedding. Christ's ministry begins with a wedding. And human history is going towards a wedding. That's what we're talking about here today. So we've talked about who is the groom. Now, how are we, the bride? How in the world am I part of the bride of Christ? Doesn't he know my past? I'm not worthy to marry the Son of God. We have been given God's righteousness. This is an arranged marriage. The Father arranged it. Much to the chagrin of our Father, the devil. Isaiah 61 which lists Christ's mission statement. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, give sight to the blind, freedom to those that are in prison. It ends with this response. He has covered me with a robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. Like brides and grooms, get ready for a wedding. So the Lord has covered us with a robe of righteousness. It's not by my works, but by his works, he has clothed us with his righteousness. Like a bride getting ready, the Lord is getting us ready. Like the bridesmaids getting the bride's dress ready, the Lord is getting us ready our Father, by enrobing us in His own righteousness. We have been made, according to the New Testament, the righteousness of God in Christ. He became sin so that we may be made righteous, His righteousness. I'm not worthy. He's making us worthy. That's how we're the bride. He made us worthy to be His bride. And He paid the bridal price. This is a little bit foreign to our culture, but listen to this verse. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church, Ephesians 5.25, and gave himself for her. In Liberia in the 1960s, the normal price of a bride was $40. That was a lot of money in their culture back then. You may be dismayed. It sounds like slavery, but it's part of their culture. Don't diss it just because it's not American. It goes to the family, and they may have to take care of her should you die and leave her with kids, or should you run off and leave her. No one else may want to marry her because she's been taken. So this money is seed money that can be used to develop her own farming, or whatever to take care of her. In Zimbabwe, it's called Labola, and it's cows. You give cows for your wife to your in-laws. And so the worth of a bride is part of her self-esteem. is based on what her husband paid for her. There's an African proverb that says, pay your labola so your matrimonial bed will be happy. The wife's esteem in that culture is tied to what's paid for her. I read the story years ago of a guy named Johnny Lingo in the Pacific Islands that wanted a wife, and he paid seven cows for her, and the village mocked him because you could get a good wife for three cows. And his wife was probably barely worth a cow, but he paid seven cows for her. And when a foreigner came and heard this story, he said, why did you pay seven cows for your wife? He says, I wanted my wife to be able to hold her head high. And if somebody ever asked her, what did your husband give for you? He said, I didn't want her to say, well, he gave a cow. And she became what he esteemed her to be. She became known as the most valuable wife in town. Christ, the Lamb of God, I talk about a lobola there, gave himself for us to purchase us. We understand that in terms of redemption. But in terms of wedding, Jewish culture, uh, Scott Stoddard told me after the first service, the groom would attempt to give large gifts, not to the bride, <laughs> to the in-laws. You are worth something, saints. The Lamb of God was given for you. On the cross to atone for your sins. The devil, our old father, the father of lies, has no more rights to us. We've been purchased. Labola has been paid. So ladies, if somebody calls you a heifer, don't get offended. So would you mind adding an S to that? We are being prepared. How are we the bride? We're the bride by being given righteousness, by being paid for. We are a bride by being prepared for our wedding. He gave himself for us that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word that he might present her to himself a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. He did this for us, but we're for him. When a man loves his wife, he loves himself. So it's not out of position of neediness that Christ has purchased us. Well, I just won't live with myself till I can get you. No, he he's happy as he is, but in blessing us, he's going to be blessed. He enjoys our worship. Worship is about him. Amen. So he bought us so that we could be his bride and so that in being his bride, he's setting us apart, he's cleansing us, he's washing us with water by his word so that he can present us to himself as a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, so that we can be holy and without blemish. Just like a bride getting ready for a wedding day, he's getting us ready for our wedding day.
0: I love you. Not only for who you are, but for who I am when I'm with you. I love you for the part of me that you bring out. Before I knew you, you sought me out. You loved me despite my past mistakes and imperfections. You looked beyond what I was and saw who I could be. So, with great care, I have prepared myself. With great patience, I have waited to be one with you forever.
1: I understand there's a very high divorce rate in the military with our younger uh, servants. Thank you for your service if you're in the military. But I understand there's a very high divorce rate amongst the young recruits. They go to boot camp. They get out of boot camp. They're going to go to war. They know their life's in danger. They want to get married. And many times they get married and the bride's not really ready. And the groom's not really ready. So there's a very high, I mean, it's out of proportion. to The the divorce rate in America is too high anyway. You know, one divorce is never something we want. But it's, I don't know, close to 80%, something like that I heard. If it's not right, please correct me and I'll put out an email to the world for disseminating something incorrect. But people are getting married that aren't ready. So why hasn't the Lord come back yet? He's getting us ready. Don't live in fear of missing his return. Get ready. You got the time. Let's do it. Let's not waste the time. When is our wedding day? It is a day that our God looks forward to. Isaiah 62.5 As the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall, it's prophetically, so shall your God rejoice over you. A few weeks ago, Yvette and I were privileged to be able to go to Atlanta and to Ryan Duncan, Joe and Laura Duncan's youngest son, got married. He's the happiest groom we ever saw. He rejoiced over his bride. I wish I had a picture of it so you could see a groom rejoicing over his bride. In February, our daughter will have been married three years. And not only did the groom rejoice over his bride, but she rejoiced over her groom. Here's a picture of that. There is some serious rejoicing, a joyous day. God's going to do this over us, and he's looking forward to that day. When is our wedding day? None of us know the day or the hour. Everybody thus far that has attempted to make a prediction has been seriously embarrassed. Well, can't we know the season? Well, that's getting close to the day, right? You don't even know the season. Jesus said that. It's not given to you to know times or seasons. So you don't know the season. None of us know the day or the hour. Matthew 25, 6. At midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. This is a parable of the ten virgins. Five wise, five foolish. The five foolish were not ready. They were in the wedding party, but they were not ready for the arrival of the bridegroom, and they missed out on going to the wedding. And then Christ compares this to our needing to be ready. He then says, watch therefore, as you know, neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. So when is our wedding day? We don't know. We don't know when. We don't know if it's 12 o'clock, 6 o'clock, or Saturday or Sunday. We don't know. Now is the time for us to be ready. Now is the time. Now is the time to get ready. And be ready because it could be today. Someday my prince will come. It could be today. Here's a bride that wasn't ready. Dearly beloved, we're gathered here today to witness the union of two lives, that of James and Sarah. James, do you take Sarah to be your wife, to live together in the covenant of marriage? Do you promise to love her, comfort her, honor her, keep her in sickness and in health, and forsaking all others to be faithful to her as long as you both shall live? I do. And Sarah, do you now take... I've written my own vows. By all
0: means... James, I love you. I cherish every moment that we spend together. You're my hero and my friend. I promise that I will love you, honor you, care for you, and support you for the rest of my life. There's only one thing I ask in return. One day a year, only one day, I want to be single again. I want to be able to spend time with old boyfriends. guy hunting, clubbing, that sort of thing. Whatever comes up for the day. Well, what do you think?
1: Well, James, it sounds reasonable to me.
0: Are you kidding? You must all be out of your minds. What's the problem? What more could you possibly want from me? Yeah, James, what exactly do you want? What do I want? Well, well, I don't want you on a part time. Uh, I want all of you. All of you should belong to me. Well, that's how this thing works.
1: What kind of bride are we? Are we a deceptive bride that hides? That issue should have come up during conversations of courtship, right? Lord wants us 24-7. He doesn't want us just one day a week, one day a month, one day a quarter, annually. He wants us to Himself all the time. The question for us is, are we ready for our wedding day? Today is the time to extend invitations to people that are not ready. That's what we're doing today. Letting people know that don't know about the bride of Christ, that they're invited to a wedding to witness the glorious reunion of the bride and to be part of the bride and yet part of the wedding party. A glorious feast. Today is the time. The kingdom of heaven, Jesus said in Matthew 22, is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son and sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding. Revelation 19.9 says, Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. These are the true sayings of God. So we've been invited. The invitation is extended to us. Will we accept this invitation? And will we extend this invitation to others? A bride wants to invite the world to her wedding if they can afford it. Well, our groom is rich. Everyone's invited. As a bride, let's let the world know about this invitation. Are we ready? Are you ready? The invitation is made to you today. Revelation twenty two, seventeen says, The Spirit and the bride say come. These are the words of Jesus. Let him who hears say come, and let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take of the water of life freely. Lord, I pray right now in the name of Jesus, if anyone here is not part of your bride, they would understand. This metaphor is for their understanding of just how much you want a relationship with us. So Lord, I pray that your spirit would awaken us to the thirst that we have for living water. And Lord, I pray for those of us that have drunk the water of life and we're, we're part of your bride. But we've not been getting ready. We've been resisting We've been walking in deception in our courtship with You, trying to fool You, or not fully embracing our engagement. Like an unfaithful fiancé, Lord, we are sometimes worthy of being broken up with. But thank You, Lord, in Your faithfulness, You're helping us to work out these issues to get us ready for our wedding day with You. So Lord, I pray for those of us that are part of Your bride, that You would begin to wash us afresh with Your Word, that we would take our Christian walk seriously, Lord, that we're going somewhere with this. And that Your tarrying is because You don't want anyone to perish. you're the bride of Christ you're awesome you've been made righteous Lobola Beyond Compare has been paid for you you are highly esteemed and a day is coming when it's going to be your day to make that grand entrance heaven is described as a bride as well which is where we're going to be. Revelation 21, John saw a new heaven and a new earth. And he saw the holy city, New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. He said, I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle or dwelling place of God is with men and He will dwell with them and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and will be their God. Verse 9 concludes with him being told, Come, I will show you the bride, the Lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the Spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Her light was like precious stone like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. That's you and I. Hold your head high in anticipation. Bow your knee in humility for His dealings in preparing us to be ready for the wedding. Let's stand. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up His countess upon you and give you His peace. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you are His bride with army boots on. Go get them, Tigers. God bless you. You need prayer, don't leave without receiving it. God bless you.